0: Welcome to This Seriously Sucks, the right podcast when life goes seriously wrong. In these interview episodes, people who've been through major traumas and events that derailed their lives talk about times when they didn't want to go on and share how they did. All our guests are at least 10 years past their big this. They keep it real, pull no punches, and share what they wish they had known when they were in the middle of their this. Now, here is your host, the author of This Is Not The End, who knows what it feels like to want it to be the end, Nina Sossaman-Pogue.
1: Yes, this is the right podcast when life goes seriously wrong. And I'm so glad you found us. Thanks for sharing some time here. On this podcast, we talk about the lowest moments of highly successful people, the major life events that rocked their world and how they got through them, because we can all learn from their stories of resilience. Today's guest is Christopher Roush. He's a speaker, author, coach, comedian. He's the no excuses coach, helping people overcome, as he puts it, the self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. And so note to our listeners who don't like it when I curse, I think this episode might contain more cursing than usual. And I'm not fucking kidding. There we go. I broke the seal. Now we can move forward. So Chris, you've become a rock star in the speaker coaching world. Thanks so much for being here with us.
2: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And thank you for that warm introduction. I love it. I love it. I'm excited here to fall into conversation with you where we got to talk about, about inspiring people to become their greater selves than they are today.
1: Absolutely. I'd like to begin this uh, podcast and this introduction with the success part of our resumes to set the stage for talking about. ways we get out of darkness so you were once living on the streets you dropped out of school there were drugs and alcohol in your story so and i also read somewhere you survived two suicide attempts so i know that at one point in your life like many of us maybe some of our listeners you couldn't see a bright future you couldn't see where you are today so let's start there and i believe for you uh, that was 1982.
2: Ooh, wow, you've done your research. Yes. As a I matter of fact, the uh, the 30, I think it was the 39th anniversary of May 10th, 1982, just happened. May 10th, 1982 was the day, yes, that I went from being um, a technically a middle class seventh grade student going uh, about his life in the most weird manner possible in some ways uh, to becoming a seventh grade homeless dropout who was living in the backseat of a station wagon with 18 cats and two dogs. So yeah, uh, life changed May 10th, 1982, some 39 years ago. But the journey since then has been one of many peaks and many valleys.
1: And every good story has, you know, high notes and low notes. We talk about that here. Was there a moment in your journey where you just didn't have any hope where you just felt like I can't do this anymore?
2: Yes, yes. It all, it all came uh, as a culmination of my entire life from the point I was born uh, to a mother with various psychological disorders and drug dependencies and alcohol situations and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, an affection for men, let's just put it that way. Um, so I was born without a father. So my mom had, like I said, very psychological disorders. So my journey from the time I was born up until the time when I really had the thought of myself not being in this world anymore, that entire journey for those 17 years was one of darkness, of loneliness, of emptiness, of trying to fit in, of uh, physical abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse from both my mom, my sister, um, other people in my life, you know, the bullies at school, the bullies on my street. I was just telling the story the other day. When I think about, you know, when it is I really started living in my life versus existing in my life, it took those first 17 years, including those two failed suicide attempts, for me to start realizing that one of the most important components of our survival, and our even better, our thrival, Is our love for ourselves. And I never loved myself. I never trusted myself. I never believed in myself. I thought I was always somebody that had to show up and be who it is my mother told me to be or be who it is my teacher told me to be or or be who it is so I could fit in on the playground. And through the culmination of all those different events that happened, up to including being homeless for four years, uh, my sense of self-confidence, my sense of self-worth, uh, continued just to to plummet. I mean, then as drugs and alcohol got involved and as my mom was playing espionage, she was pretending to be a drug dealer's assistant while also giving information to the Anaheim police department. It was craziness. And here I was working three jobs. I'm 16, 17 years old. Um, and I'm doing all these things. And just finally, ultimately I get to the point where nobody sees me nobody see i feel like i'm i'm like i'm like in a world with all these people around me and nobody fucking sees me so i'm like all right i want somebody to see me i want somebody to see me in such a big way they never forget me so i got drunk i got high i was 16 years old and I got in my mom's station wagon when it still ran because she loved that car. And I said, guess what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to plow this car into the biggest side of the building I could possibly find so that it's on the news. So her police friends, everybody has to go see the fact that I just drove her car right into a brick wall and went there. Now you figure it out. Yeah. Cause that was really my ultimate destination. So I was like, you, you're depending on me to do every single thing in your life. I'm a teenager. That was my mission in my head. Um, So I got in the car, 16 years old, driving a over 5,000 pound station wagon on Orange County freeways here in Southern California, uh, looking for a hard object to run the car into. Now, mind you, I was drunk and stoned, but still apparently a really good driver because I started driving when I was 14 because my mom would pass out and I'd have to go move the car when we were homeless if we're having to stay in a motel because we had to hide it because we had all the cats in the car. So I learned to drive when I was 14. So here I am on these freeways and I'm like... and still to this day, I believe I didn't believe this at the time, but I believe there was guardian angels. There was God, there was source. There was somebody there with me in that car because it was like nine or 10 o'clock at night. might've been 11 o'clock at night. Um, And so I got on the freeway. I didn't even know if there was gas in the car. I don't, I don't know how I did this, but I managed to drive probably, I estimate probably around 50 miles round trip um, through across three different freeways. And I'd never found that brick wall. And I know I didn't find the brick wall now because I didn't really want to die. And I'm surprised that during that escapade that I didn't get pulled over by the cops, I didn't hurt anybody, but it was really a a super huge lap around Orange County for me to realize, Hey, maybe I don't want to die. Maybe I, maybe I, I need to start making different decisions in my life. And so that was the one time. The other time was that I took a half a bottle of Advil thinking that I was going to pass out and die. And I didn't, I wound up just getting really sick and wound up not having a headache for 20 years
1: unpacking that a little bit so I'm sure that someone listening is like oh my gosh my mom's a train wreck too or oh my gosh I have gotten in a car or been self-destructive in other ways Uh, I remember being self-destructive myself wanting to step into traffic I just kept going for these walks and I had plenty of very safe streets to go on but I kept walking on the busiest streets thinking I could just take two steps over to the left and that next car would just end this for me and I wouldn't have to worry you know but in my head then I was thinking well shit now they're going to feel like I feel and now we start this loop all over so So as you look at that and people who are listening, think about the words that you're saying, if they're there right now, um, how did you get through that? How did you keep going? You had, thank goodness, source someone looking out for you and you got off the interstate and and got on with your life. But was it like an instantaneous thing? Did it take weeks? Did you just muddle through some more and or did you talk to someone? What were the steps that kind of unfolded back then?
2: The steps that unfolded back then, and that's a great question. Thank you. Um, was that I? I, I think what I happened was because we were staying in this motel, and it was it was super sleazy motel. It was something that you could write a movie about. I mean, there was the drug dealers, there was the prostitutes, there was the old people who are drunk fighting who had been living there for ten years. Uh, I can't remember their names now, but they were funny when they were sober. <laughs> exactly. They were the sweetest people, but every night around four o'clock they started drinking. They became assholes. It was crazy. Um, they are in some there.
1: movies. I think I've seen them in some movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it was a, It was crazy. Um, but I started. There was a few people there that were really working working. working hard and trying to better their life. And I noticed that they always stuck to themselves. They weren't in any trouble. And I was like, they seemed like they were happier than the rest of the people out there just drowning their sorrows and their misery. So I started watching people who were a little bit more successful. I did stop hanging around as many of the degenerates as, as, as I was, but honestly, during that process I was still trying to just figure out who I was and what was going on and my mom doing this thing and just trying to survive every single day. I mean, literally every day was a fight to survive. And it wasn't until the point where I came walking back in the motel one night and this guy uh, walks up to me and goes yo man he goes you want to buy a carton of cigarettes and I said oh what you got because at the time I smoked cigarettes and he goes he goes oh man I got a carton of reds for you I got a carton of reds for you and I'm saying this stereotypically because he was a black man and I sat there and I said I said oh man I said I don't smoke those I actually smoke cools well um, and so I and I was like, Oh man, no, no. And I went to go reach in my back pocket. He goes, he goes, Oh, is it because I'm black? Is that do you white people have problems buying cigarettes off? And I was like, dude, I grew up in Englewood. I said, I was only the like, only white kid in the fucking neighborhood. I said, I don't care what color your skin is, I don't care, I'll tell you, I care about the color of the cigarettes, and the cigarettes aren't the ones that I want. I said, I want coals and I went to go reach in my back pocket to grab my cigarettes, which were in my back right pocket. And before I could do that, there was a cold metal gun pressed against my sh- forehead. And he was like, he's like, no, it's because I'm black. It's because I'm black. All you fucking white people are the same. I'll blow your fucking head off right now. And I looked wow. at him and I swear to God, I went, if you're going to fucking do it, then do it. And I fully expected to be like, I, hear, I was fully expected to hear a click and then it was going to be gone. I closed my eyes and just literally thought, now she's going to miss me. And then all of a sudden, I hear out of the side, this guy named Will. I still remember Will when in light gray jogging pants, no shirt on, beefy as hell because he'd been in prison. No, 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 no. Him and his moms are cool. Him and his moms are cool. Him and his moms are cool. He's like, What this motherfucker? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, No, no, no. Him and his mom's cool. They take care of me. They give me food. Da, da, da. He goes, No, they're cool. I guess this guy just got replaced, released from prison. So he went and stole the cigarettes and thought he was going to find me to go buy them from so he'd go get some smack or whatever. Right. He's wow. like, no, 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 It's cool. It's cool. And I just sat there and I looked around. I still remember the motel lights. I still remember people being outside. Some of them not even giving a shit, just like doing their, oh, hey, that guy might get blown away. Um, and from that point, that's when, that's when I started making different decisions.
1: Yeah, that would, that would definitely do it. It's interesting. You said you thought in your head, now she's going to miss me. Like we have this thing as just humans that we want our moms to, to save us. And I think that's because innately, as, as creatures, our moms are supposed to save us, or our parents are. And so when they don't, we save ourselves. Uh, we have to learn how to save ourselves. So in that moment, some realization somewhere probably was, I'm going to have to save myself because no one's coming. No one is coming. What do you think made you survive it? Because not everybody would. Not everybody would have made it through what you went through. Was it because you, at an early age, you were already learning to be tough? I mean, there's some piece of resilience. Every little thing that hits you builds a little armor. So by the time you were 17, you had a freaking super suit.
2: Super suit, yes. It took me, for honestly, for the first time in my life, I think it was the first time I really felt like thinking like an adult. I was 17 years old, and it was a couple nights after this happened. And I was looking around, and I was looking at everything going on. My mom... Um, I can't remember what she was doing, but I just remember looking around and seeing everything. I'm like, there are one of three ways I'm going to get out of this situation. And I remember this three ways, dead jail, my own choice. That's it. Mom, we, we had been homeless at that point for four years. We, at one point she won the lottery. She won $5,000 in a scratch off lottery. We could have totally gotten an apartment. We could have totally downsized because she kept all the cats. She hid those cats in a motel room for (laughs) off and on for two years that she lived there. I wound up leaving. So, so here's the thing. So I'm sitting there and I'm just like, okay, death. We already tried that. That didn't work. Jail. um, I'm not really not a fan of confined spaces or people yelling at me and spitting on me. Oh, decision number three on my own accord. Okay. What does that mean? That means I leave my fragile mother here in this situation. It means, do I leave her? I mean, everybody else left her. Everybody else gave me opportunities. Like, Chris, do you want to come live with us? Do you want to come live with us? I had multiple opportunities to go back and have a normal life, but I stood by, I stood by her side. So here I was faced with the decision. Like, okay, I've already been through all this stuff and I've stood by her side. Now, if I leave, I'm an asshole. Um, so coincidentally, the universe, when the universe, and you know this, when the universe says, Hey, you're ready. You've just made a choice. Like I get chills. I get chills. I get chills. Cause I was like dead jail. Or on my own accord. Okay, I'm not up for those two, so I got to do this. So what do I got to do? What do I have to do? A couple of days later, me and one of the guys that I was that was friends with at the motel. He and I had hooked up and not hooked up that way, but hooked up and became friends. And we were doing telemarketing jobs. He got me a telemarketing job. So we were doing this telemarketing job out of somebody's apartment in Huntington Beach, California, which sounds creepy. It wasn't that kind of telemarketing. It was telemarketing for setting roofing appointments. And it was actually a pretty decent deal. He had a spare, a spare bedroom that he used as an office. And we went in there and we just cold calls. And if we got a roofing appointment where he could go in and trade out a roof, it was, you know, I don't know, 300 bucks. And if we, we got 10 bucks an hour, so it was great. Went there and he was a nice guy. We go there one day and he goes, Hey guys, he goes, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And I literally looked at, him, I said, Norman, I remember his name, Norman Dodd. Great guy. Um, he goes, I said, Norman, I've had enough bad fucking news to last a lifetime. I literally have, I said, uh, what you got? And he goes, well, I know you guys are living in that motel. And he goes, I know you guys are good guys. And you're, you wanted to save up for your deposit. You want to save up for the down payment, the last, all that stuff that you have to go through. And he goes, so I'm going to leave you in my apartment. And we're like, what, what, what leave, leave us apartment what he goes yeah i want you guys to have this apartment but the bad news is that i'm moving shop to dallas texas he goes i'm gonna move back to texas he goes but i know you guys i believe in you guys and i don't want to leave you guys hanging you know as far as losing a job um he goes but i want you guys down my apartment and robert and i looked at each other like huntington beach california a two-bedroom apartment with like a workout room and like laundry facilities and like greenery i mean this was like the taj mahal we're like what what there's a swimming pool What? So we're like, okay, we could do this. It was a two bedroom apartment. We're like, you know, we can get your brother, John. We can get Rambo, you know, we can get five guys in here and we could pay 800 bucks a month and we'll figure it out. Right. And then of course it hit me. Oh yeah. My mom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to do this. No, no, no. And I hemmed it hot. I felt sick to my stomach. I was like, oh yeah, we could do this. He goes, well, if you don't want to leave your mom, you know, I can get Bob to do it and blah, blah, blah. But I want to give you first choice because we got this. And long story short, I went back to my mom and I said, listen, I've got a great opportunity to get out of this place. You don't realize this, but here's what I've been through. And just I had this all planned out in my mind that she was going to once and for all say, you know what, Chris, I have thoroughly messed you up, but you're trying to be the best person you could possibly be. I need to let you go. I need to let you fly because we've obviously been in this situation for a long time. This is my responsibility. I'm your mom. You've done what you could do. So I thought in this picturesque vision of my brain that she was going to give me the freedom to go be myself. <laughs> 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 ladies and gentlemen boys and girls you think i swear my mom lit me up in front of the entire motel how could you do this to me you're an asshole you just call me every name in the yeah. book uh in every every situation she could possibly figure it out uh, she tried to have me arrested for stealing my, for taking my own car and so ultimately what i did and this is crazy i went back to that motel every night i mean i left i was literally not even staying in that room anymore i was staying in somebody else's room because her room had all the cats in it and it was nasty So I went and stayed there. But every night I went back and I gave her a little bit of money or I helped her with the cats or did whatever I needed to do. Subsequently, I found out about codependency and realized that I was the one that was taking care of her and that she finally had to get her shit together and get a little bit stronger. And so through those processes, there was some healing, but there was still definitely a lot of ups and downs, as you can imagine, and trying to process that whole 17 years after as I was trying to make my life a better situation.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's the people around us we have to make a change and we're waiting for them to give us the go ahead to make the change, but many times that doesn't happen. And uh, you'd mentioned in one of your other stories and now in this one as well, the people around you are very much tied to your ability to get out of a tough situation and you're tied to your future success as well. So a lot of times, um, as I put it in, in my book, when something big happens, you get to go on to the next chapter and decide what to put on all those empty pages and your character, like you have some character development, so you're not the same in the chapters ahead, but you also get to decide who comes into the next chapter after this plot twist. Like some characters may not make the cut. They may get edited out at this point in the book and they just were in your life for these life lessons. And then you move on to the next chapter without them. On the other side of this, being homeless and, and making that decision to go adult as you put it, or, or take on your own take responsibility for your own future. How were you different? The you before that and the you after that, what was different about you?
2: Um, you know, it's a great, that's a great, great question. I believe from that point forward, I was never the same person at any particular, I was the same person. I should, I should rephrase that. I was the same person at, at certain periods throughout my life. But from that point, I was always looking To understand myself better and understand other people better, and that's what really got me into personal development, got me into coaching, and wanting to help and pay it back after I learned all these different things about why we do the things that we do to ourselves. Um, So it always became like a personal mission. But there were points in my life where I got stagnated, I got complacent, I got comfortable, I started settling. But then again, it was like, okay, let me understand why this is happening. What am I doing this? Oh, this is this is a reaction to my childhood where I didn't get a chance to do that, so I'm rebelling. Okay, let me understand that and what I want to do. So it's always been that personal evolution of trying to become a better version of myself. And I always encourage every single person, no matter where you're at, what you're doing, what you could possibly do, you could always invoke that 1% rule that says, okay, today I'm going to do 1% more. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to read, I'm going to watch a YouTube video. I'm going to read an article. I'm going to do something that grows me or inspires me. And if we continue to do that, then we can continue to handle any of those situations as they come up in the rest of our
1: life. Excellent. So tell me that part of the story. Take me from suck to success. What happened in those in-between years?
2: Oof. Ah, geez, a lot of a lot more learning opportunities, learning opportunities <laughs> didn't, didn't end there. Because up until that point, I had been conditioned based on, you know, the surroundings of my mom, mostly um, that I didn't, I wasn't smart. I didn't think I was smart at all. I thought I was stupid because she told me I was stupid. You're always so stupid. You know, physical abuse, you're stupid, physical abuse, you know, just the, re, the reinforcement of that. So when I started hanging around other people, one of the first things I'd work on was my belief system um, and still working the jobs and, and taking that risk to make that jump to go live in this apartment with these other guys. That opened the door to other opportunities. Okay, now there was a lot more women. Now there was a lot more freedom to do drugs. Now there was a lot more freedom to do whatever. Still, it was like literally from the time, you know, the sun went up till the sun went down, I was super responsible and like, you know, just doing whatever I needed to do. But then after that, I started getting a little careless. And again, looking around at the people I was hanging out with, I was like, okay, there's some really smart people here. And then there's some other people that I don't think it's gonna turn out so well with, for them. And then I would just sit there and watch. And for the longest time, all I did was just drink beer and, and smoke pot. But then I saw this guy that I really admired and respected because he didn't do drugs at all. He didn't drink. He went to work every day. He had a really nice car. He was just in a bad situation. And so one day I walked into his bedroom and he was hanging out with a whole bunch of people. He was probably about five or six years older than me. And I walked in there, I saw him doing either Coke or Crystal. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, Chet. And he's like, Oh, Hey, what's up, dude. I was like, and I remember this. I was like, so bummed because I was like, you're the, you're, you can hang out with these people, but you're not a druggie. He worked out. He was like, okay, I could be in this, but I don't have to be this. Right. And I started seeing him. And when I saw that, I was like, okay. uh Oh. And then that's when it occurred to me like, oh, well, if it's okay for Chet to do it, then maybe I should try it. Maybe I'm the odd one out. Maybe I'm the weird one. Everybody seems to be having fun. I'm kind of like the prude here. Like, okay. And I'm still the young one. So maybe if I want to fit in, cause that's all I ever wanted to do in my life was to fit in and be liked because I never was any of that as a kid at school, as a kid at home, as a kid on my block, um, with the exception of my friends, Mark and, and those guys, those are were, those were cool guys, but otherwise I got beat up. And so here I was, I'm like, okay. And so of course I tried it and I was like, all right. And I felt stupid I was mad at myself for trying because I'd always been to that point, but I'd never been to the point of like, okay, I'm gonna do hard drugs. And here I am doing this right. stuff. And so through that process and that journey, um, I learned really quickly that I do not like having that thought of where can I get more? So the first time that really happened over, only after a couple of times doing cocaine, it was three o'clock in the morning and I was like going there going, and I'm like, we're all hanging out. I'm like, you know, wh- wh- where, where do we get some more? And I'm like, that just came out of my mouth. Um, but ultimately after that, I never did it again. I was like, I do not want to be at risk of, of being addicted to anything else because the everything else was just like just like treating my ADD in a way, the way I was looking at it. Um, so out of that situation, uh, I met this girl named Tammy, starting dating her and found out she was from the other side of the track. She was upper middle class. They have the living room you sit in or that you don't ever sit in, you know, real nice <laughs> house. I came from a house that had a twin bed as a couch I never had living room furniture aside from one chair and this twin bed and I think a a, a rocking chair, which I still have today, which is kind of weird. Family heirloom apparently. Um, So once I started getting around her, then I met her dad and her dad was like, took this one look at this long haired, cigarette smoking, foul mouth, seventh grade dropout, driving a 1965 Dodge Coronet with stickers all over it, dating his upper middle-class daughter from the other side of the tracks. He says to me, he goes, Christopher, you ever thought about getting your, your, your diploma? I'm like, Bill, and he was a cool guy. I'm like, Bill, um, that was a long time ago, dude. I'm not going to high school. <laughs> that I'm a old is guy sailed. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I would not fit in that crowd. I am way older than all those kids. He goes, no, no, no. You can do this thing called a GED. And I'm like, what the hell is a GED? General equivalency diploma. I'm like, all right, well, uh, you guys got money. You seem to be successful. She really likes me and I like her. Um, so you want me to go do this thing? Okay. I'll go do this thing. You're going to find out I'm stupid, but I'm going to go do this thing because you, you, you think I can do this. And this is one of the most important things you guys can really take from this interview is I, some, sometimes you have to follow the belief of other people before you have the belief in yourself. So I was like, if you believe in me, if you think I can do it, you think smarty pants, okay, I'm going to show you. And it wasn't even thing against myself, but it was just, I didn't have the belief and faith of my, that I could go, I'm going to make up four years of high school by taking this piece of paper. Um, so anyways, went and did that. And they tested me and they said, okay, you just need two classes. And I think it was a total of six weeks that I went there like three times a week, took the test again. They said, you got it. And I'm like, what? And they said, no, you pass. I'm like, oh, what? And they're like, actually, you're a pretty smart guy. So I go yeah. back to him and like proverbial, like here, I got a piece of paper. Thank you. <laughs> and he's like, Christopher, what do you think about going to college? I'm like, what does this guy want from me? Wow. What? And so he's like, yeah, just go to Golden West Community College and just go take a class. I'm like, wow, easy for you to say, college. Like, to me, college seemed like this 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 thing in the sky that other people went to. Like <laughs> it's college, a musical bed.
1: Like, yeah, it's like, it's like,
2: what? I'm <laughs> yeah. like, okay. So I literally, I remember it. I drove my '69 Charger uh, to the school, and I remember walking up that long walk to a community college, mind you. And I was just like. Am I am I old enough to because I'm still I'm still in my mind going I'm still a kid I'm still you know mm-hmm. looking at it back now I'm still a six-year-old walking up there going no nope, no mom to hold my nobody nobody here to push me or tell me what to do I gotta do this on my own all by myself I mean he gave me the seed which I talk about a lot you know all the different seeds that I'm planted over our life sometimes we have to water them ourselves I opened the door. And I was like, all right, and I walked in and there was people and people were all over the place and, da, 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 and I just walked up to the thing. And I said, "Hi, um I need to know what it takes to go to school here." She goes, "Okay, what do you what is your major?" And I said, "I have no idea." Um and I never, at that point, I didn't tell anybody what my story was. "Oh, where did you go to high school?" Um well, I went to Savannah high school and I didn't realize you yeah, had transcripts and all this other stuff. And then I said, okay, I went to Wintersburg, which is uh, where I got my continuation certificate. I'm like, oh, okay, come with me. My first class was an interpersonal communications class at Golden West College. And it was one of the best classes I could have ever started with because it taught me so much about people and listening, and my mom was always about being right, not being happy, but always being right and yelling over people and all these different things and not listening. And so I was forced to sit in this class and learn how to listen, like really listen to people and understand people and to seek first to understand. And from that point forward, that's, that became like a fuel for me to understand myself better and understand other people better was to simply just start listening.
1: The thought of you walking in there and no one to hold your hand and you have to do this yourself. I can picture a little six-year-old you minus the beard walking in there and the uh, and, and that's a really beautiful thought if, or a scary thought all wrapped up into one. Uh, even grown men, sometimes when we see them go through scary situations and in their head, they feel like that six-year-old little kid going... Is anyone gonna hold my hand and help me through this? So, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. That's really insightful uh, as we think about anyone who's going through something right now and afraid to take a step. That sometimes it's the first step you have to take that's the scariest when there's no one to hold your hand through it. Mm. Uh, so, you did the you did the community college piece, and then I know you went on and did other school, and you realized you were really bright and could have a bright future. Uh, was there a moment where you felt like you were? I'm past this now, like. I'm past being the homeless kid. I'm, I'm, I'm over and I'm done. I'm better.
2: Yeah, there was, there was actually it was um, in the year 2000. uh, I graduated with my master's degree as you somewhat alluded to. So I went back and once I got my associate's degree, which took me four and a half years, almost five years to get. And all throughout my life when I was homeless, and I remember this very vividly sleeping in the backseat of that station wagon, I could still see the, the, The etching of the vinyl. And I remember all I want to do is have a place where I can live that nobody can mess with me. I want a place where I could live that could be my place that nobody can kick me out of. I just want my own space to be who I am. And so in the year 2000, um, I also bought my first house, which was amazing. So here I am, 31 years old, I think it was, and bought my first house and got my master's degree. I've got a corporate job where I'm a manager, I think at that point, um, doing pretty well. And I'm like, all right. All right. I got a house. I still have my 69 charger. I managed to hang on to it all those years. Thank God. I still have it to this day. Still looks the same, unfortunately, Most of the, but runs a lot different, but it still looks the same after well, how many years has that been? Um, anyways. So I thought I'd made it. I'm like, okay, I'm good. And honestly, th- even from 30 until 48, I thought I had made it, but I continued to evolve. And it wasn't even until I was 48 until I went, Oh, I was still in a totally different mindset. And so I'll explain that. I never real. I thought when I got to that point in my life where I was no longer in survival mode, I mean, I was at the point where, okay, can I go to the store and buy groceries and not have to worry about if, if I'm going to pay the gas bill, electric bill, or, you know, those kinds of things. Like, okay, I've got $5 to go to the grocery store. What can I get? You know, that I was, I was out of that space. I had a credit card and I was like, all right, um, I'm doing things. I, I, I built a sand rail. So I had a little bit of money. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. But apparently all throughout those years, even though I was still successful, I had six promotions and eight years at my job, uh, rose to the ranks to become director of operations at that, at that position. Um, but there's this thing that we can be in and we don't recognize that we could be in survival mode or thrival mode. And it wasn't until I got my coach who had to wake me the fuck up in her terms, uh, to the fact that I was still in that survival mode. And if you're in survival mode, there's still that scarcity mindset. There's still that, oh, when's the other shoe going to fall? What, when's it gonna, when is this all going to end? And I never really realized it because I was always so motivated and inspired to go and grow. It was all about, as long as I don't stop, and as long as I keep this momentum going, I will be quote unquote happy and successful. As long as I strive for that next position, then I'll always have a job. As long as I always strive to make more money, I'll always be in a better spot. As long as I always strive to impress people and make people this, all this, all this, all this, I'll I'll get this. As long as I do these things, then there's a condition for us to do those things. And it wasn't until, you know, through those different valleys and journeys, you know, a, a dance with alcoholism on a point where I was like, I was drinking quite a bit but I was just doing it to, to, to equalize myself from the fact that I knew I wasn't happy in what I was that I was doing. So I just, again, it was like this little navigational thing. And I was like, okay, I don't wanna do that anymore. And then really it wasn't until 2008 where I went to a funeral and I had this epiphany. And so I was sitting in the back of this funeral it was for a coworker and everybody from my work was getting up there and eulogizing this person. I really didn't know her that well, but I came to find her really quick to be an amazing person in this world. And I felt so bad that I did not know this person as much as these people did. And I thought to myself, okay, if I died tomorrow, who would show up and what would they say? And this is, you know, this this is years later. And after everything has happened and I thought, okay, 10 or 15 people are going to show up and they're going to say, um, you know, they're going to bring a six pack of beer and some Jack Daniels and Motley Crue records and Bon Jovi t-shirts and be like, okay, remember that time Chris did this? And oh, remember that time this, good. oh yeah. And he was a good guy. And he did, but remember this time that Chris did this? And, you know, cause I was just known for doing stupid stuff or chasing girls. I was just, it was, it was just, it was stupid stuff. It wasn't anything of substance. And so as I sat there and I thought about this, I'm like, that's not what I'm here for. And again, that continuous growth before I was just like, okay, I want to get things because as long as I have things, I'm okay. And I'm like, Hmm, I don't think life is about that. So I went home and I wrote my own eulogy by hand. And when I got to the bottom of the paper, it was a yellow tab of paper, yellow pad of paper. Uh, I read it back to myself out loud. And when I got halfway down, I had tears rolling down my face. No joke, Nina. I had tears rolling down my face. Cause I was like, wow, whoever lives this life is like, damn. And it was like, duh, this is your life. And when I got to the bottom of it, Nina, it said, and it still says this today, it's because I do this exercise with my, with my coaching clients. And sometimes I'll redo mine just to, for shits and giggles, just to see if it changes. And it never does it the way I word it changes, but the, the core part of it always stays the same. And the fact that the end of it says that Christopher Roush will have fought for what was right and what was fair. He will have risked for which that mattered. And he will have left the earth, a better place for who he was and what he did. That was where the magic sauce really happened for me to get on that personal development growth and that personal evolution mode, even deeper to figure out, okay, what do I have to do to surpass this materialistic possession ego kind of thing? So
1: fantastic. And that is so true. and We do get to that point in our life and we look back and uh, I always say, however, for me, uh, I love the eulogy thing. I could sit down. I, maybe I'll do that exercise. Except for me, I always told my husband he has to. I he has to outlive me because he would do a hell of a eulogy. He's a really good writer, so he's got to stick around longer than me. And he likes me more than I like myself half the time. You know, we all have the own our own shit in our head that we're gonna be picky about. But that's a wonderful exercise for folks who are listening or in a bad spot and you want to make a change. Part of what he's sharing is. You have to decide what's going to be in that eulogy. Very similar to what I talk about in my book. And when I speak from a stage, when you open the book on this is your life, you know, how big is that book? What color is the cover of that book? Is it a comic book or is it like a thick novel or is it paperback? <laughs> like you open up the book of your life um, oh, yeah. and, what, and, and it, you're on a page today. This is cool, Chris, because right now we're having this crossover episode in each other's looks. Like you have a page that we're on today and all the pages ahead are blank. So similar to writing your eulogy, what do you want the end of your story to be? Like, what do you want that to be? And if it's not, you got to start writing some shit in there that that's, takes you in that direction. So uh, I, I love the, the way you think about that. Uh, and, and I do think you, there's a little sympathetic part of you that I'm hearing. I'm sure you're aware of it, though. The fact that you still have the 69 charger in the rocking chair says a lot about your acceptance of the Chris that was that kid is still a part of you it's it's you've talked about what was you before and you after I guess we're all sort of this you know we get to take take parts of us into our mm-hmm. future chapters but there's a sentimental part of you that's going to go yeah and survive that like look at my mm-hmm. car look this like it's part of your story so I find that really interesting thanks for sure no,
2: thank you yeah it is I mean honestly when I look at people now now I'm 52 um you know in looking at um the journey that we go on, like you said, it's, it's magnificent when you can look back, um, and think about, you know, where do we get disconnected? You know, realistic, where I was just talking about this yesterday when babies are born, I watched my son being born. I'm not, he's adopted, but I was not there in the room, but the few minutes afterwards I was, um, and watching his growth now four and a half years old and knowing that you know the child development stage from zero to five really is what creates our personalities and our belief systems based on all those things that went through. I would love to go back and really see what my life, my childhood was like, my baby life was like, Um, I can imagine because I've done a bunch of research on ADD and ADHD. I thought that was a, like a neurotransmitter type of situation. That is actually because uh, we didn't have attention as kids. And so we were constantly like, Oh, if I don't have attention, okay, I got to do this. And okay. As long as I have something in my hand, I'm okay. As long as I'm doing something, I'm okay. As long as I'm distracted, then I don't have to think about my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings. So I always encourage people. One of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves. And this is something that I had a therapist tell me uh, by the question that she asked me, which really kind of threw me back. And she said chris when did you stop being a kid she goes i see coach chris i see you know all together chris goes when did you stop being a kid and I, my first thought was like that's a stupid question what
0: the, hmm
2: hmm hmm kid kid well, i guess we could try to define kid i said but honestly you know latchkey kid my sister leaving uh mom's going through a divorce i was nine years old i said honestly around seven or eight um you know if we all strive to find our inner child because we all still have that little boy or that little girl, it's amazing what we can release and what we could do for empathy and forgiveness in ourselves. And for the people who quote, unquote, supposedly wronged us, everybody does essentially the best they can with what they have in those particular moments and for me Nina it's I look back on my life and I look at life you know specifically happening for me and not to me and thinking about all the different people that I've met and all the different situations that I've been in and I was there and I held my mom's hand as she passed away I was there and held Bill White's hand as he passed away my mentor the guy that convinced me to go back and get my GED I've held both of these people's hands as they passed away and it was almost like like throwing the con, like saying, okay, Chris, you graduated to the next level. I can go ahead and go. Mom gets to a certain level. I move into this house the day she dies. It's crazy. She's like, okay, now you're gonna go have your life with Barb, my new wife, and you know, you're gonna have a kid one day. So now you have you've, you've graduated to adult status. But and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm really on my own. Now I gotta figure this stuff out for, for, for ourselves. But as long as we stay in tune with that little child, child person inside of us, we don't because we you know we're so fast to want to grow up and be an adult. Um, the innocence and the playfulness and the adventureness that we have as kids—that's like a part of who we are. That's not taught to us. That is not what's taught to us. Is the hate and the ignorance and the selfless selfishness and the and the and the programming that we're not enough or we're not good enough or we're not pretty enough. Or we're never all this stuff that that our caretakers tried to inspire us to be better. You know, obviously, somehow screwed a lot of us up. And so, for me, it's reprogramming our perspective and our expectations for what our life really means for us, not to us. And saying at any particular time in our journey, we can go, okay, I'm done with that. Uh, That's an old version of me. Today uh, starts a new version of me. So for me, it's just about really trying to redefine what it is that we're here. And if we know what our legacy is and we know where we're headed to, and we know that everything's happened for us to get us to this point, then I look at it with a sense of optimism, a sense of curiosity, a sense of adventure and play. Okay, what's next? What can I do right now while things aren't bad to get a little bit stronger, get a little wiser, maybe lean down some of the stuff I don't need? What can I do to continue to be the person that I see myself to be? Because at the end of the day, one of the scariest thoughts that I ever had uh, when it was said to me is that if we're here and we have basically a spec sheet when we're born of what it is that who we can become and who who we can really achieve, I don't want to get to the end of my journey and have somebody go over that spec sheet and go... Yeah, um, didn't didn't follow his dreams. Um, yeah, lived a life of mediocrity or, or or settling. You know, yeah, didn't do this. Wasn't true to himself. I don't want that. I want like you exceeded every expectation I could possibly have and more. And that's what we should all be striving for. No excuses.
1: Absolutely. You said something uh, to back it up just a little bit, talking about what was what you like to do. That was childlike. Uh, I think that that's part of it. Takes us out of. Uh, out of that mindset too, for those of us who've been in a corporate setting, who've worked in corporate, you don't get to be a kid and play. There's, you know, there's some of the tech companies that pull in like a ping pong table and stuff, but that's not play play. That's recreation while you're trying to get your brain to take a break. But for me, I I remember uh, my 40s, I was doing triathlons and stupid stuff that was hurting my body and I had to have a shoulder surgery and the surgeon said well what do you what do you have to fix you know how bad should I go in there and fix this and I said well I need to be able to do a handstand and he looked at me like I was crazy and I said well I was a gymnast and my kids still you know they expect me to do my party tricks or do something silly Uh, so handstands and cartwheels or something being upside down was something that I realized in my 40s was something that brought me joy or made me feel like a child again so to this day and I'm older than you I will still do handstands and cartwheels and I end my workout each day every morning I end my workout by standing on my hands for a little bit and doing a few cartwheels I'm sure my neighbors think I'm crazy but for me that just reminds me that I'm still me deep down like I I can still be this and then jump into a really heavy day full of whatever work I have ahead of me Uh, you know I can go that to do that and then run into an investor deck like five minutes after my cartwheels which is always an interesting. (laughs) <laughs> An interesting switch of mindset.
2: That's that's beautiful. How, what, how do you, what would you recommend to people to be able to do that pivoting? Because so many people, they seem stuck in whatever there is they're in. How do you pivot from that, from that one focus to another focus?
1: I don't believe in one focus to another focus. I think life is life and you have to create a life you love. So my second book that I wrote is called, But I Want Both, uh, The Working Mom's Guide to Creating a Life She Loves. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe it's all your life and you just choose what you want to put in it. And I'm real big into scheduling your priorities, not prioritizing your schedule. So, do the things that you need to do to be the person and, and the part and show up in the world like you want to show up. Okay, I got. Before we jump into my final three questions, which I end all the all of my episodes with, I did want to give you an opportunity to share your thoughts about around this with our viewers because I've heard you talk about it and I think it's really powerful. And and I did a little bit of it in your intro when you coach people and when you talk with people who are going through something. Why do you call it crap? The crap that is holding you back. What is the crap that is holding us back? And why do you choose that terminology? Unpack that for us a little bit for folks who may be listening, who are going through their own crap right now.
2: Yeah, no, thank you, Nina, so much. This has been so much fun. You can ask me any questions. I love it. You know, the self-created crap is funny because um, when I was a suit and tie speaker, my journey has just been multifaceted over the years. And so for, for that time of pretending to be somebody who I wasn't to get everybody to like me and validate me, when I ultimately realized I could take all of my journey and the personal development stuff that I'd learned over the years, the Tony Robbins tapes, the Les Brown tapes, all the different tapes that I learned. So when I was able to, to, to take everything, I'm like, Oh, legacy purpose. This is the way I can go back and coach. And I can speak to at-risk kids. I can go back to the, one of the greatest opportunities I had, you know, was to, to go back to Brooker's junior high uh, the school I dropped out of. They invited me to come back and speak. So I walked back onto that grounds for the first time after being, uh, when I left there in the seventh grade, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to anybody. Literally, I was told you're not going back to school the next day. It was a few days before we were evicted from the house. And so when I got to go back there, it's a video that's on my YouTube channel. It's a uh, seventh grade dropout returns home or something like that. And I get to walk into that gymnasium. I get to see all those kids. I was blown away a at how little they were. I was like, no, no, no. I'm <laughs> supposed to be speaking to the seventh and eighth grade class. Like this is like fifth grade class. Like, no, 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 no. no. These are 13 and 14 year old kids. I'm like, <gasps> Wait a minute, I was that size when I was going through all this stuff? I thought I was a man. I pictured myself as like being a man. I'm like, these guys are little. There's no way I was doing this. And I, so but from that experience afterwards, telling my story and saying, hey guys, listen, since I left here, I have been on a world effing tour. I didn't say that out there. Uh, I said, I've been on a world tour of every possible thing, not every possible thing you could experience. That's, a, that's, a, that's an inaccurate say, statement, but a lot of stuff. And I'm here to tell you that you guys can all go through it and survive through it, but still I wasn't being congruent to myself. I was putting on a suit and tie and doing all these things. So, <clears throat> again, trying to find where that that inner peace really lies is not being anybody else but who we are. And that's that's the crap that we create. We create these belief systems that say I have to be this, or I have to be I have to live with that that person's expectations, or you know I have to be I have to be selfless because you know I was told never to be selfish and all these things and all these all these agreements that we've made. It's only us that can decide that we're not going to hold on to those agreements anymore, and it's only us that can decide to go change those things to for our betterment. But so many people either subscribe to a, to to a, a mantra of either I'm a victim or a victor, you know. Oh, if I'm just a victim, then this is my mindset, this is my belief system. So you got to cut that crap. You have to sit there, and for me going back, people say, you know, how did you not hate your mom? How did you not just leave her in the dust? You know, my sister did. My sister left when she was 16. I was like, later guys, you guys are all fucking crazy. Here's an next, here's an excellent uh, um, exercise for people to do. It's called the tolerations list. Um, it's something I give to my clients. And inevitably the first week I give it to them, I'm like, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down everything that you're tolerating in your personal life and everything you're tolerating in your professional life. In your personal life, it could be the cupboard sticking all the time. It could be the fact that, you, that you, the, whatever it is that you tolerate that's frustrating you, the door is always sticking, the window doesn't work, You know, so-and-so doesn't do this. Write out your tolerations and let's talk about them next week. 98% of the time, people show up with about 10 to 12 things on each thing. And I'm like, really? That's it? That's it? That's all you're tolerating? That's it? Well, yeah, it was, it was actually kind of hard for me to think of these. I'm like, okay, as you're going through this next week, I want you to really be specific and intentional. What are you tolerating? Are you tolerating the fact that your monitors are too small and you have to squint? Are you tolerating the fact that you trip over the carpet every time? Are you tolerating the fact that you're driving to a job that you're miserable at, uh, hoping, wishing, and praying that someday, show me where someday is on the calendar, ladies and gentlemen, that someday you're going to finally get your shit together and take your life seriously. No, there's a book called the five regrets of the dying. A hospice nurse sat with all these people as they were dying. And guess what? The name, the same regret, number one regret was they didn't live the life they wanted to live. They lived the life they, were, they thought they were supposed to live. Let me say that again. They lived the life they thought they were supposed to live. They did not live the life they wanted to live. And here they are dying at the end of their journey, telling a complete stranger, hey, man, I really wish I would have went out there and lived my life. I really wish I would have done what was most important to me. I really wish I wouldn't have had so many stupid fucking excuses that held me back. There were my own belief systems on repeat, repeat, repeat. Uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm smart enough. I, I, I've always failed. I never have good relationships. Blah, 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 blah. You keep repeating that stuff to yourself. Guess what? The universe goes, voila, voila, okay. But when you sit there and say, "Stop! I'm not going to do that anymore," I stopped on that staircase that night and said, "Listen, guys, I'm either going to wind up dead or in jail. Or I'm going to have to do this on my own." God said, "Hey, in a couple of days, I'm going to put this opportunity out here. If you're serious, here's your path." And that's what's happened every single. Hey, Bill White shows up in my day. Okay, you made it to this part. you graduate, you graduate to the next thing. Okay, now you go to school. Okay, now you go to college. Bill White passes away. Okay, I've made it through that test. Okay, now he's got me on this thing. Okay, what would Bill do? I started getting my mind. What would Bill do? There is no certainty. What there are are moments. There are moments, and through moments, you can create momentum, but you cannot create momentum if you're going backwards or if you're constantly looking backwards. So, but this happened, Chris, and that happened. Chris, and you don't understand. I was violently molested for 17 years by 25 family members. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. I wish I could go back and take all that. But you are in a position now where you can look and you can find it. It's not going to be overnight, but you can start researching how to have empathy, how to have forgiveness, how to let go of what's not working for you, right? You can sit there and take all that stuff that you went through, all that stuff that you potentially could have grown, grown through and make that mean something. You can go sit there and go, go work at a, a big sister's place. You can go sit there and volunteer your time at church for, for a potential other people at a church that are afraid to talk out because they've been molested too. You could create a whole new program. You could go take all of this and go become a speaker and go change the world. You could write a book.
1: Or you could sit in it and just be sad. And who wants to do that?
2: A lot of people. A yeah. lot of people, that's that self-created crap. Oh, it'll always be like this. No, always and never are the worst words you could actually ever use at yourself. Like, oh, I always do this or I'll never get this. Start changing that programming that you're saying, guys, just because it was put into your brains throughout your life. If you're choosing to always like stare back and go, well, what if, and you know, what if, you know this happened. Instead, just look in the moment right now and go, wow, there's Google and YouTube. There is literally anything in the world you guys want right in this moment, you figure out you can go on there. People sit there and tell me, oh, my finances, my finances, my finances, my finances. Mike, like, what, how, what articles have you read last week that will help you with your finances? Are you using a, some sort of accounting software? Are you having weekly meetings with your family? Have you instituted a budget? Have you started looking at the things you really absolutely need versus the things you think you want you need? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, so it's your own crap. It's your own shit that you're sitting in, yet you're bitch pissing and moaning, expecting somehow to change. Isn't that stupid? Well, kind of. So what are you going to do today? And that's what I say to everybody listening to this right now. What are you going to do? What's the one thing? What's the one action you guys can do today by which that when you do that, it will change and start to shift everything else that's happening in your life. The first thing you can do is start taking care of yourself. Nina, I have had over a couple of hundred free coaching calls in the last year, just as my way of giving back during COVID. Cause I'm like, okay, I just want to keep people's spirits up. I know they're going through a lot of turmoil. And through this process, I started realizing a common thread that I had not ever realized before. That I, that I was like, oh, this is what I went through. And I would ask people, like, I want you to answer this question as fast as you can, as heartfelt as you can, without even thinking about it. Do you love yourself? Yes or no? And I thought, I'm just going to take a chance on this. And the first person was like, well, yeah, yeah I think so. I am, I'm pretty sure. I'm like, well, talk to me about that. And then I found out they really didn't. They thought they did, and they were kind of embarrassed to say that they didn't, but through the tears and the crying, they didn't. Okay, now the healing can start. And then I asked the next person, the next person. And like, probably 80, 85% of the people had difficulty saying that they loved themselves. I'm like, talk about how, how do you care for yourself? How do you care for yourself mentally, spiritually, physically? How do you take care? Well, you know, I've got this and I got this and I got that. And I, you know, that I'm like, okay, so are you drinking half your body weight in ounces of water every day? Oh, I don't even drink water. What do you drink? Oh, I drink coffee and soda and tea. Okay, well, you realize your body is like 80% water. So if you're dehydrated, your brain's not gonna work as well. Your body's not gonna work as well. You're gonna feel like shit. You're gonna wanna go to a short-term gratification because you don't feel good because we always wanna feel good. Life is not about feeling good, ladies and gentlemen. Life is about taking action and feeling good about taking that action when you did not want to take that action because it's gonna result in growth. That's why we go to the gym. We work out our muscles to get. go through pain and we've got, oh my God, my muscles hurt. Oh, they hurt. But you know they hurt because in a couple of days they're gonna feel better and you're gonna look good and you're gonna feel good. That's life. I could go on and on. Sorry, Nina.
1: It's excellent. Uh, and you just answered the third question, but I'm going to pose it to you anyway. Okay. So I love it. And now I'm going to have to go and, make a list of all the things I'm tolerating because I've never heard that before. So you taught me something uh, new it's to, you. Uh, you gave me homework. So I love it when someone gives me homework. So I'm going to make my, i start making my list. Have a feeling a few come to mind really quickly. You know? It'll be,
2: it'll be long, do it twice. It'll do it long. And then from that point, just pick three things. Cause usually people okay. will come up with about 20 to 30 total. You just pick three Yeah. and you say, okay, if I just get rid of these three yeah. and those three usually are nothing.
1: Yeah. Why bother? Why, why tolerate? That's really great. It's a great way of thinking. All right well so much great information we end uh wrap up each of our episodes with the same three questions for all of our guests and again on this podcast everyone who joins us all of our guests have gone through something big in their life and they're at least 10 years past it so they're in a place where they're speaking from their scars not their wounds is what i like to say so we've already Mm -hmm. done some healing so the three questions are um first what would you say to your younger self? If you could go back and like whisper in that seventh graders ear or at some point in your life, what would you say to your younger self?
2: That's a great question. Actually, that was an exercise that I, I stumbled upon one night when I was drunk um, in, during those drinking stages. I pulled out a bunch of pictures of me as a young kid. And after all my friends left, I was cleaning everything up and I was pretty buzzed. And this is when I was socially smoking. I sat down on the the patio table and I picked up a picture of myself, probably first grade, second grade, maybe. And I sat there and I looked at the picture and this is after going back to Brooker's junior high, you know, and and doing that. And I just, and again, thinking about what I was just saying, you know, thinking about myself is like, dude, you're going to go through so much in your life. And I'm just, you know, for people who are not, can't see this, um, you know, I'm staring at a picture. I just picked up this little picture and I just looked in my eyes as a little boy. And I started crying. I'm like, damn, dude, you're going to go through a fuckload. You're going to go through so much stuff, dude. You're going to want to give up so many times. You're going to think you're a piece of shit. You're going to think you're worthless. You're going to get chased into people's houses by bullies. You're going to get your head beat in. You're going to get mocked. You're going to get made fun of. You're going to have times where you just feel like absolutely dying and crying and that you can't get the pain out. But there's also gonna be people in your life that are gonna show you the way. There are gonna be opportunities that are gonna present themselves that you must take. You must take advantage of those situations. Otherwise, you will not wind up where you need to wind up. So to answer your question more succinctly, I would tell that, that little kid, that 13-year-old boy, dude, you're gonna go through some serious stuff, but you're gonna get seriously way stronger from it.
1: Wonderful advice. And our second question, what is one thing you know now that you wish you knew then now that you're older and wiser?
2: Um, that I am love. I never, I never knew that before. You know, I never knew what love was. I never knew it was all about, accomplishing and striving and you know the material aspect of what lo- what life was about. But now it's about love. Now for me, it's about seeing people's differences and still loving them. It's about seeing people saying stupid stuff and seeing that them being hurt. They're not really saying these things out of hate and anger. They're saying them because they hurt. And so I think the first objective that we could possibly be, and we're all born in, born into this way, is to be love. But somehow we become something else. So um definitely to be love is is one of the biggest things I would tell myself to go back to
1: great advice. I always say lead with love. If you're not sure what to do in a situation, just lead with love, listen and lead with love. Like you can't go wrong in that, with that attitude. And the third question, and you tapped into this earlier. So if you want to talk gratitude or something in here, here's your opportunity. One thing our listeners can do today to help them get through their own big, this, whatever they're going through.
2: So many different things have popped in my mind, but yes, gratitude. It's amazing you know, the old adage, I'm not sure you've ever heard the thing, like you have a group of people and everybody's standing there, you know, bitching about their problems and everybody just takes their problems and throws them into the pile. Most likely people are going to go, wait, well, my problems weren't as bad. Okay, I'm just going to take the, I'm sorry about what you went. Okay, I'm going to take these back. It's really about perspective. You know, that we talk about, we joke around sometimes in our conversations about, oh, I've got real world problems, right? And I sit there and I joke around about that. I'll find people who notoriously would bitch, piss and moan about so much stuff. And I'm like, Did you by any chance go to a room in your house today and and, and turn a knob, stay with me here. You turn a knob and then hot water came out of the wall. Hot fucking water came out of the wall. As much as you want, don't waste it. But hey, hot water came out of the wall. Pretty nice. By the way, when you went and took your morning whatever, was there toilet paper right there for you to clean up with? Toilet paper. There's some people in this world toilet paper. What is that? What is that? There's so much to be grateful for. When I wake up every single day, and this is something that everybody can do. This is, uh, this is what everybody can do. Before my eyes open, Nina, I say what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for another day. I'm grateful for this house. I'm grateful for my sheets. I'm grateful for the people that made this bed. I'm grateful for my dog. I'm grateful for the birds chirping outside. I'm grateful I get another opportunity to impact people. I'm, great. I'm grateful that I get an opportunity to maybe be a better parent today than I was yesterday. And then from that, I say what my intentions are. Before my eyes open, this takes 30 seconds, guys. My intention today is to be present and playful with my son. My intention today is to make an impact in the world for who I am and what I say. My intention today is to be a great husband and a great friend to my, to my family my intention. So instead of waking up going, Oh shit, this is gonna be a fucked up day. How about just waking up going, there's beauty, there's electricity. You know, it's funny. We bitch about when our computer doesn't work right. Or we bitch about, Oh, you know, this, the refrigerator just went out. The refrigerator didn't go out for the last three and a half years. Granted they don't last very long anymore. Where was the gratitude in that? Where was the gratitude in your computer working all the time? My PC services guy at my old job says, it's amazing. He goes, people only yell, they only talk to us when something's wrong. We never hear like, Hey, you know, thanks a lot for keeping the network up for the last six months, but it goes down. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude.
1: I love how you said, when you wake up in the morning, starting with something you're grateful for and setting an intention is really key. However, I have a thing about intentions. When you go to bed at night and you put your head on the pillow, if everything you intended to do doesn't happen that day, you also need to have a little grace because we all have intentions, and then life happens, and they don't. It doesn't always happen like we want it to. So, giving yourself some grace, saying, "Well, I started off with the best intentions today, and that didn't quite go as planned, but you know, tomorrow, hopefully, I get to wake up again and give it another shot." You
2: know? Right? Yeah. No, it, is, it really is about it. Just it's about having that. That awareness, if anybody's on the ledge, not not figurative ledge, um, but if you're on the ledge of what it is you want to do and follow your dreams, go watch the video Jump by Steve Harvey. It's less than two minutes. My coach had me watch it and I stopped my complaining. I stopped my excuses because if we all want to fly, if we all want to soar, if we all want to have our dreams met, we have to jump and there's no other way to do it, but to jump into life and experience it full heartedly.
1: Excellent. I will add that link in, in the show notes to this. So thanks. Thanks so much for sharing time with us. I'm sure that a a lot of what you said has really resonated with our listeners. How can they follow you, support you, get in touch with you?
2: Super easy. Uh, ChristopherRausch.com. R-A-U-S-C-H. ChristopherRausch.com. Or if you can't remember that, TheNoExcusesCoach.com. All my social media links are there. YouTube, Facebook, all my uh, podcasts there, Raw and Unscripted, and then The Unfiltered Experience, are all there. They're videocasts. And you will definitely be a guest on them because I want to dig into your story and understand more about you uh, because there's so many questions I could have asked you back on this, but I always have to remember I'm not the interviewer in this situation. I'm the interviewee. So I tend to take control of those situations and I'm proud of myself I didn't. I only asked you one question today.
1: I was proud of you. You did do the one and then I think you realized, wait a minute, whose podcast is this? I'm happy to go back and forth. It's actually more fun when both of us kind of give and take a little bit. So it didn't uh, bother me a bit. And I would love to be on your podcast sometime. So we'll follow up on that. Thanks so much, Christopher. And I will have his information in the show notes, folks who are listening. And thanks to everyone who's listening. It is when we talk about the really tough stuff that we all get stronger. So whatever it is you're going through, you've got this. The you 10 years from now, think about this. The you 10 years from now is counting on you to get through this.
0: This has been another episode of This Seriously Sucks. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Nina Sossaman pogue and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. For
1: more resources, or to share your story, or to get a free copy of my book, go to mythis.club. There is a whole club of folks out there who want to help you get through this.